the swing for America between a Latino population that is entrepreneurial and making it and, and, and creating wealth and educated versus a community that is marginalized and, and left at the edges is huge. It's Aspen Ideas to Go. I'm Trisha Johnson. That's Henry Cisneros. He's the former president of Univision and now chairs City View. It's a firm focused on urban planning. In today's show, he and other Latino leaders talk about what it means to be Latino in America today. Aspen Ideas to Go is a weekly show that brings you compelling talks from the Aspen Ideas Festival and other programs presented by the Aspen Institute. The Institute is a nonpartisan forum for values-based leadership and the exchange of ideas. Mass deportation, detention, the wall. And now President Trump's announcement that he's ending DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. It's the immigration policy President Obama established through a controversial executive order. Many in the Latino community are feeling fear and pain. This group makes up 18% of the U.S. population. How do Latinos fit into the country's current narrative? Journalist Maria Inahosa founded the nonprofit Virtuo Media Group. She hosts Latino USA on NPR. Janet Mergua is president and CEO of the National Council of La Raza, the country's largest Hispanic civil rights and advocacy organization. Henry Cisneros is the former mayor of San Antonio and served as the Housing and Urban Development Secretary under President Clinton. Monica Lozano chairs the Aspen Institute Latinos in Society program. She moderates the conversation. Here's Lozano. Henry, I actually wanted to start with you because Henry Cisneros and I were here on a panel last year. And um, we shared the stage talking about something that you have called the new American mainstream. And the emphasis really was that Latinos are contributing to the economy, that in many ways, because of our youthfulness, because of the changing demographics, um, the economic contributions that Latinos make are substantial. And yet a year ago, we were just coming out of a national presidential election, and the rhetoric that was defining Latinos in America was just such a stark contrast between the message that you were trying to get across about economic opportunity, the new American mainstream, and how media in many ways and the political discourse was defining us. Since that time in this past year, Henry, have we made any progress? Talk about that, that dichotomy between how we might see ourselves and the contributions versus how others well, see Well, Monica, us. first of all, thank you for uh, chairing the panel, but also for chairing the Aspen Initiative. Um, it feels like in a year, a lot has changed. And uh, the sensation of what it means to be Latino in the country is very different than it was a year ago. I think it was a very hopeful proposition a year ago. And today, I would say the dominant sense in Latino communities is an almost palpable fear. Mm. Uh, fear of deportation for some people that is very real, and for others just a sense that something has gone terribly wrong in the country's understanding of who Latinos are and our place in it. I just finished writing a chapter for uh, the Eisenhower Foundation on the Kerner Commission report of 50 years ago. It's the 50th anniversary of the report that was written after Dr. King was assassinated and there were riots in the cities. And the question was, you know, wherefore American inclusion and equality? And um, 50 years ago, Latinos didn't appear in a, a report like that because it was very much a black and white context. Over the last 50 years, we've made immense progress. People understand our population, 55 million people. Uh, they understand our economic contribution, that mainstream economics idea. Uh, this country's future workforce, uh, its health of its social security system, its uh, entrepreneurial new business formations is all about the role Latinos are going to play. We'll, be the, we'll, we'll, we'll account for half of the growth population-wise and economically in the country. So the, the reality is that Latinos are the biggest story in the multicultural evolution of the United mm -hmm. States. But you wouldn't know it from the from the attacks and the sense of the last year, uh, my sense is that we've had a lot of too many incidents in which Latinos are essentially told, 
go back to where you come from. I mean, I've, I, I know of these instances of people that, that have experienced this. Uh, people who've been here for generations are being told, go back to where you, you came from. And I'll, I'll close with this. The, the, for me, one of the most seminal moments of the last year was a conversation with a former Republican presidential candidate who ran against Trump. And it was a private discussion, so I won't give his name. But, but he said, immigration and the attack on immigration works. So Trump is going to do all kinds of things. Some are going to work, some of them are going to not for his politics. But he's going to reserve this one because it works. So it's a very cynical definition. It works definition. to do what? What works is the to, intent? Works to um, harness the fear about cultural change in the United States, raise fear in the general population. And so if you think of it, you know, the cynic, cynic, cynically, cynical nature of it, it's creating a wedge politics in which one people's future is mortgaged. One people's future is denigrated. One people's future is dismissed as necessary to mobilize the anger in the but, country. But the reason why <clears throat> the reason why that happens essentially is because you have a national narrative that is created, right? Like if you actually are within the Latino community or if you're watching Univision or Telemundo or you know you, it's a very different perspective of who we are and what we're bringing. So the question is what happened in the, of course, as a journalist, it's what deeply concerns me. It's why I created my own company so that I could make the decision that I'm not going to use the term illegal to describe a human being or that I'm not even going to use the term minority in my reporting because I don't see ourselves as minorities. Um, but the, the national narrative, and, and I think back because, you know, I worked at CNN for eight years and um, it was a great, a great eight years. But um, you probably all remember when they basically created Lou Dobbs to go on every single night. Janet. Janet. <laughs> Janet, who went on that show, right? But every single night, it was the broken. And that, the narrative didn't start there, but it was certainly, it took off post 9-11. And as Henry says, it works. Because you have journalists, sadly, making decisions in editorial rooms that are saying, uh, Latinos, like what? Like, who are they? What are they? And if you, as a, as a Latina journalist, are trying to say, well, let's tell this other story, it's like, you have an agenda. You just want to tell those stories because you're Latina. And it's like, no, because we're journalists. Well, part of that has to do, Maria, with the, the lack of representation in decision-making roles within media. Absolutely. My understanding is that less than 3% of all those who can actually decide what goes on the air, whether they be story writers, editors, et cetera, or less, less than 3% are Latino. Janet, jump in on this question of the narrative and how Latinos are portrayed and, and, and the wedge and, and the, the fear politics that Henry was referring to. Yeah, it's, uh, it's absolutely real. And I think, um, you know, Henry's laid that out very um, succinctly, but very diplomatically. Uh, I, would, I would go a little bit further, uh, obviously, in pointing out that um, you know, we've had um, not just some people, but the person who now holds the highest office in this country who uh, entered and campaigned, uh, basically stoking that animosity against uh, immigrants and, in many ways, Latinos, because a lot of people tend to sort of blur the lines uh, between Hispanics and immigrants, even though obviously a lot of us understand that we have been a very big part of uh, society here in America and as Americans and citizens. But a lot of folks, to get to Maria's point, sort of tend to not understand the Latino narrative and are confused by uh, Hispanics and and say, well, they're they're you know it's not white, it's not black. They're this other group, and that otherness has been something that folks have taken advantage of. But particularly when you have a downturn in the economy and you are in a post 9/11 uh, era, you know it's uh, a lot easier for someone to appeal for political purposes to folks who are threatened when they see this surging growth in the demographics of Latinos. We've represented half the growth of the U.S. in the last decade, and that's going to continue. 
And so when you have this economic period of depression, recession, and individuals are sort of afraid of the change that they're seeing, and that change of demographics is not just, it's a dramatic shift for some, but it's layered with other changes culturally <laughs> that are happening. You're seeing the evolution of, of the growth in strength and power of the LGBT movement and uh, LGBTQ movement. And you know, you're seeing a lot of uh, you know, uh, conversations in communities uh, where you know, it's not just immigration, it's gay marriage, and it's piled on with uh, you know, discussions around uh, uh, choice and, and, and abortion. And, and you know, all those things can be stoked during a period where a lot of change happens and where the economy is, is um, uh, not strong but weak. And uh, we saw uh, you know, uh, someone who's holding the biggest microphone in the, in the country, you know, campaigning as president, and now as president today, uh, as we are here, the House is voting on legislation uh, that is going to lift up uh, and uh, elevate the victims of the people who have uh, been killed at the hands of undocumented immigrants. Obviously, a very painful and horrible situation. Uh, and no one uh, believes that you know we should be uh, uh, protecting and harboring folks who have committed crimes. And and uh, you know for us though to use those folks uh, and their situation and to demonize everyone as a result of that who happens to have undocumented status is shameful. Uh, it is not consistent with our American values in terms of how we have seen immigrants and Hispanics contribute to our uh, economy. You're listening to Aspen Ideas To Go. On the show today, a conversation on being Latino in America, featuring Henry Cisneros, Maria Inahosa, Janet Morgua, and Monica Lozano. Find Aspen Ideas To Go on Apple Podcasts, NPR One, Google Play, and Sirius XM's Insight Channel. That's channel 121. Now back to the show. Here's Lozano. So I want to go to this question of um, sort of how do we respond as a community? Because if, if these attacks have taken place over the last you know, 12, 18 months, you know, fueled by the changing demographics, <laughs> the changing economic scenarios, there has been a question posed about why, does, why is there not a greater sense of leadership coming from the Latino community. And it does it have to do with questions of identity, that it isn't one single monolithic community, that Latinos are in fact from you know, different races, ethnicities, countries of origin, different generations. Is there a question of our ability to respond because our leadership has not yet found its voice? And how do we create that voice and exert that kind of leadership that puts us in a position not of being um, subjected to this sort of rhetoric, but really being able to tell the correct narrative about who we are as a community. Well, Monica, I think that, first of all, there's been a sense of disbelief that the community is under attack I was about, this way. <clears throat> I was about to say, I think part yeah. of what's happened is that there's a state of trauma. I think yeah. people are just like, mm. I mean, I'm in a state of trauma. Like, I wake up some days and I'm like, you me voy? I have to leave here. This is insane. They want to deport people it, who've been here as long as I've been here, and they want to. Yeah, it's it, it, there's a sense of sort of incredible to it. Mm. Um, we, if you had a spectrum of how the nation views Latinos, from completely unaware to cynically expendable, to at the other end inclusion that's real, we're way over here somewhere between completely unaware and then, like I said a while ago, a cynical decision to expend of this population. Just, it, it doesn't matter. We need scapegoats in the society. These people will do for now. I think the response is coming because people are genuinely angry. I think you start with a sense of disappointment. I have been incredibly sad through this last period because you know, I, I, over a lifetime you work in a linear way to make the country better and then something this bad happens to our people, 
our community, a community that I know well. I live in the community. And people are genuinely afraid and hurt and sad. But we also tend to be a well-mannered people who, who, who don't generally rise up in, in, in violent anger. But when these things play out and you see families being broken up and mothers being deported at the workplace that they can't even get home to notify their children, which is real, which is happening. <clears throat> when you see violations of DACA and young people arrested because they have a broken taillight on their car and that's enough reason to deport them, I think you're going to see some very profound responses because it is absolutely unacceptable. Henry, I don't know. I don't know if you heard. We did an interview. I did an interview with um, Mayor Gil Garcetti of of, New, of um, Los Angeles. Eric, <clears throat> and, Eric, Eric, Eric Garcetti. Garcetti. That's right. Eric Garcetti. Gil's his father. Yeah. Gil. Oh, thank you. Brain. It's the altitude. <laughs> um, there was a May Day protest out right in front of um, of City Hall that day, so I happened to literally have just gotten swept up in it, and then. You know, I came in and I asked him, I asked one of the protesters, what do you want me to ask the mayor? I'm about to go in and he said, tell the mayor we need to get rid of ICE entirely from Los Angeles. And I was like, okay, here's what they said. The mayor's response left me, and it's very rare that it happens, when I was just like, what? And he said this on the record. And I asked him, I said, you're sure you want to say that on the record? And he said, I want to say this on the record. And basically, it got picked up by the LA Times and a bunch of other national media. He said... His concern is that at the 25th anniversary of Rodney King, that the next big explosion in Los Angeles could because of an ICE could be because of an ICE interaction in a community. Absolutely, ICE being immigration control and enforcement, so for customs enforcement. So where they come in, and we are not seeing it. Most of us watch Law and Order. There's an episode where it shows it. What? ice looks like when you're when they arrive at a house in black suits exactly when they and by the way they say police all the time right. they say yeah. police yeah. that's by the way when they're wearing their uniforms mm -hmm. because what what we're seeing now and I'm reporting on this now is plain clothes ice agents going into courtrooms and taking people from courtrooms and walking them in and putting them in unmarked cars waiting at churches because they know they this is our United States. So I want to, you know, this is it's a little emotional, obviously. It's clearly very emotional. And, and these things are happening in our communities. But, you know, the question of what is the right response? So Eric signals that there may be a response that people take to the streets. And certainly there's been marches and, and, and other manifestations. But Janet, from a policy point of view, from a leadership development, from a community um, empowerment point of view, what, what do you see as some of the tools that we might be able to you know, now trigger yeah. that will give us um, perhaps a platform to begin to really change that narrative and, and not be in a responsive mode yeah. all the time? Well, uh, one fact that I think is important to raise here is, is just as we were hearing about these scenarios, is that there are uh, <clears throat> 6 million U.S. citizen children who have one parent at least who is undocumented. <clears throat> so the families that are being affected here are American families in communities all across this country. And there are real separations occurring. So, uh, you know, I think it's important for us to think that, you know, we're hearing the rhetoric of the bad hombres and the bad guys, but we know the vast majority of the folks that are being deported right now have uh, no criminal uh, record other than being here without their papers. And uh, there is a license though now through ICE to feel very emboldened to do more because the policy that was last put in place by President Obama at the end of his administration, which was to prioritize uh, uh, and allow uh, law, uh, law enforcement to use prosecutorial discretion and prioritize those who would be the biggest threat to us and to our communities or to the country and not have to use precious uh, resources to go after everyone and create havoc and chaos in settled families that were affecting American children. So I want to make that clear because it's really important for us to understand that a lot of what is being said is just not true. Obviously, there are some bad guys out there, and we should be prioritizing our precious resources to get those folks. But, you know, that is not what's happening. There are 
there is a spectrum of resources or, or opportunities for us to try to push back. One important one, which we've been working on with a number of other organizations, is to do more to lift up these stories. God knows Maria is doing her best, but we shouldn't just be hearing about these terrible stories of separation on Latino USA or in the thick. We should be seeing more of this in all of our media outlets. And the fact is, is that you may get a local story when something like this happens, but it is traumatizing to these families and to communities. And we're about to enter a phase in Texas, unless uh, the legal um, process in kicks in, where, where SB4, a bill that is going to basically allow for uh, a lot of this licensing at the local level for law enforcement efforts, law enforcement agents to to take on the role of immigration agents and to allow for much more uh, racial profiling. So what we're trying to do is lift up, obviously, legal remedies and challenges. And there are a number of folks, ACLU, MALDEV, National Immigration Law Center, are all working day and night to try to figure out where are the best places to challenge some of these things. And really, right now, looking at SB4 in Texas, which hasn't taken effect yet, but would in September. So there's legal resources. But in the meantime, there's more media efforts that can be. Uh, we're lifting up stories as we're hearing about them. We have a network of community-based organizations all over the country, almost 300. And they're working with these families, trying to get them to know their rights. Because it is important for folks to be informed about when ICE agents come. Not all the time do they have warrants. And our, no, our, they never, you basically never have to open the, the door to ICE. You don't ever. have to open the doors. And a lot of times that basic information <clears throat> wasn't getting to families. And so it's important for our folks to know what steps they could take in anticipation. But what Maria has also pointed out in, uh, is that these pickups of detentions are happening not just in homes, but in courthouses and sometimes in hospitals where people are going to get care. It is something that we've not seen Every before. single person that gets but, on the bus yeah. in Rochester, New mm -hmm. York, mm -hmm that we know of because we're right. reporting on it now, right. is asked so, so what their citizenship is. Monica, one thing is, is getting information into the hands of our community is really, really important on right that now. Score, mm -hmm. A heroic effort from Univision. Mm -hmm. no. I'm, in all disclosure, I'm a member the of the board, board mm -hmm. but the owner of the company and chairman of the board, which is sitting right here, mm -hmm. Haim Saban, yeah, and he mm -hmm. deserves uh, some special commendation for the role that Univision has played in this whole process. There's Very no doubt. Important. So we spent the first 30 minutes Before of, you do of that, it, hold just, on. We, we, we have to say that Dana was the person, by the way, that took on who you know, she was the one who called President Barack Obama the deporter in chief. <laughs> and I think it's important to, to pull that out. That was probably not an easy thing to do but a pox on the Democratic Party's house and on the Obama administration for allowing this. What would have happened if in those first 100 days immigration reform would have happened and Latino and Latina voters absolutely saw themselves reflected in the Democratic Party? What would have happened? By the way, and just finally in terms of resources, please understand that more of your tax dollars are spent on immigration, enforcement, detention and deportation than all other federal law enforcement agencies combined, okay? So this is what we are doing with our tax dollars, is creating a police state that is essentially invisible. And that's why I'm really happy that, yeah. to see that more and more people are coming. Yes. Also to say that, you know, Latinos, this is not the only thing we want to talk about, por well, Dios. Maria, <laughs> you, just, you just took the words, and I know, Janet, jump in, but I, 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 I want yeah. to reflect yeah. on this. The only thing we started off in a conversation about being Latino in America today, <laughs> yeah. and we spent the first 30 minutes of our 50 minutes together talking precisely about immigration, about the reality for our undocumented family members, when in fact um, it is a, a very small percentage yeah. of Latinos that are undocumented within the entire universe of, of Latino Americans. So Janet, you've done a lot of work actually trying to change the conversation from being one that focuses on immigration as the sole issue. I know you wanted to make another point. I and do. Certainly you can. Yeah. But you know, when you also look at the data, and you know, Henry had made reference to it, Maria, Janet, earlier on. When you talk about the future of America and you talk about you know, the youthfulness of this population, where the median age among non-Hispanic whites is 40 and the median age for Latinos is 28, that means you know, you're really so talking about generations. <laughs> you're ta well, you, I know, and I want to talk about youth and the issues that are important to youth in a minute. 
but you know, these re this really is the future of America, and we need to now begin to talk about opening up educational opportunities, advancing our economic well-being, and being able to contribute to the sustainability and the competitiveness of this country. And I think that is really core to this changing of the narrative. I mean, the statistics Absolutely. themselves yeah. should speak for themselves. <laughs> But they don't. Exactly. So um, yeah. I want to talk about how do we yeah. oh. advance a different conversation. Yeah. I'd love to transition to that. But before we do, I just want to say, because you, you know, we wanted to lay out the case in terms of our community is feeling a lot of pain right now. And, and even though a lot of folks are making important contributions as they go, we are a resilient community. We're, we, we, we try to look for the best and are optimistic, even though in many times we're seeing a lot of the pain around us. We want to try to see how we can, uh, you know, move forward. But there are real ways that we're mobilizing folks to try to stop what we consider to be the creation of a mass deportation force, and that's the funding and the needless uh, and ineffective uh, use of funds for a wall that would cost another set of uh, billions of dollars. And so, for us, it is important to look at what's happening in Congress. There are budget bills and appropriation bills. We have been successful so far in keeping uh, both uh, the mass deportation force and the wall out of the budget reconciliation bill that has passed thus far. Uh, we obviously, that was a temporary bill that was extended, but we need to keep following, engaging, and in particular, the Senate, as we're seeing on healthcare, is gonna be a crucial target for us to continue to uh, hold the senators accountable and to mobilize our community in particular, but others who see that this is a waste of resources uh, and seeing a wall as not a, a real deterrent uh, to uh, how we want to move forward with immigration reform. There are smarter investments for that and a more uh, 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 viable way is to do comprehensive immigration reform, but to stop the funding and appropriations for this. So we are doing a lot to mobilize that just as we are right now to try to make sure that people People understand that what's at stake with this repeal uh, of the Affordable Care Act is real for Latinos. There's four million Latinos who have benefited through access the, to the health. largest uninsured group. The, we are the largest uninsured and underinsured. But group. what does it matter? We don't work we, in anybody's we, kitchens we, we anyway. Have been, <laughs> we have been uh, uh, benefited by coverage and health uh, care. Uh, by 4 million in our community and 700,000 children because of the Medicaid expansions that come with that. So it is important for us. That's what we're trying to do right now. We're focusing our efforts on the Senate. But uh, I know Henry wants to contribute, but I'm happy to try to transition to the other the positive. Pieces. Latinos. <laughs> well, I, I not even the positive, but $2.1 you know, trillion. Does this actually, right? does not, and, and, and you know, whether we want to count it as positive or not, but you know, does it actually um, create a mobilization efforts yes. for citizenship, yes. for mm -hmm. voting? Does it create multicultural coalitions? How do we advance as a nation? Um, so that it actually does take advantage of the fact Monica, that we have this growing population. Progress requires tension. Tension. And out of tension. And out of every period of America where there's been tension comes the civil rights movement or other important movements. And I think this is a period in which the Latino community is mobilizing around the immigrant reality, but it's also a newfound voice of self-determination. Which will, which will then spread to issues like education. We're seeing best practices in educational practices. For the first time in American history, last September, uh, the children who entered the first grade were majority children of color in the country. And that's gonna never go back. It, every, every year, that number will get uh, greater. So education, issues of uh, economic empowerment, uh, we make about 65% or 70% of what white Americans make on the job, and we own about one-tenth the personal wealth and resources of the average white American family because we don't have long-term retirement. We don't have ownership of stocks and bonds and 401ks and the rest of it. So we have to work on those questions. Critical if we're going to be the next middle class that is the strength of the country. Health initiatives. <laughs> largest uninsured group in the country and with little access until emergency rooms of, for, for basic family care. Issues of civic empowerment, uh, electing people, registering to vote, uh, countering these efforts to diminish our vote, to depress our vote, which are real. 
with all kinds of ID systems and everything else in states across the country. And then, of course, immigration. So these are, that's, the, that's the forward agenda, it seems to me, of, how, of what we need to, to mobilize around. So let me, let me paint a picture of what that agenda looks like, just from some, some street reporting that we've been doing recently. So everybody knows Alabama. You think Alabama, you think it's one of the states. No, it is one of the states that has one of the most full frontal um, legal uh, realities for immigrants, for undocumented immigrants. Um, that was SB 56. It was passed in 2011. There was a big, you know, there was a conversation about people leaving the state of Alabama. Um, now that I've been there, I've heard that also what happened is that people went underground, which I just think, again, the notion that we have an underground population in Alabama and with everything that that means in terms of a historical context is just quite shocking still. But move forward to 2017 and um, in Albertville, Alabama, the little town about this big, the best um, ice cream store on Main Street is La Michoacana. <laughs> and you drive down two hours south to Birmingham, and right outside of Birmingham, there is the largest, like, Kmart-style big-box grocery store that is all Mexican and Latino food products that also has, like, a, almost like a 24-hour buffet. It's the best food that you could ever imagine. So in the place where there has been most resistance to Latinos, this is the way their days start, like this. Please, may we not interact with ICE? Please, may we not be stopped by police? So this notion of just like, cada dia is like a gift, and all you have like is to pray is kind of, again, shocking, but this is also who we are and how we are moving in the world. And they are, like, Alabama is experiencing a growth of Latino immigration. So with everything that's happening, we're also, and this is the beautiful story. And I do believe that there are leaders, young, Latino, young Latino, Latina leaders who are out there who we don't even know what to expect. Mm -hmm. But it is, they are there. One of the places that is, like, growing in Birmingham is... Um, a Latino um, uh, community-based organization, HICA. Yeah. It has three, one of our affiliates. One of your affiliate. like three stories, brick building, like on a you know drive. I was like, yo, what's going? On? What? What is? <laughs> and Tennessee, and, and Tennessee, North Carolina, and Kentucky, and Georgia. And so that is yeah. the heartland that we see that we document on Latino USA, on America by the Numbers, on PBS, yeah. on In the Thick. Yeah, the emergence of... Because we're seeing that. Of community-based organizations that are able to stand up uh -huh. with support from others, but, but they're, they're, they're meeting the needs in those communities of so many. And, you know, they need resources too, but we're giving them a lot of the support uh, and helping bring partners in to also shore them up. But the, the, the real story is that, you know, in communities, leaders are emerging. And the, and the silver lining around all these attacks um, on, on the Latino community is one that it has, I believe, brought the Latino community together. Yep. We're not a monolithic group, right. but everyone in our community has come together to really understand that what they're seeing play out here is a threat to all of us and, and that we need to do something. The other uh, I was so, disappointed in lining. the posture of the mayor of Miami, <clears throat> uh, who yeah. tended yes. to side with ICE yes. on this. Yeah. I haven't heard a good clarification yeah. from him what? why he did that. And I don't think it's the belief of the Cuban community yeah. Yeah. in Florida or Miami, yeah. but it was disappointing. Yeah. But we also have 17 to 20 percent of Latinos and Latinas who voted for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Not 30, that's the exit poll, which is not Mostly correct, quoted. but about 17 to 20 percent of yeah. Latinos. Yeah compared to about 8 to 9% of African Americans. Well, there was there was so there, it's there, like something's going on been, in our community. Well, there that had we need been to the indication about. as it relates to cities that they would lose direct funding should they, you know, designate themselves sanctuary. I'm not sure why it happened in Miami, but I was just going to say the other silver lining in terms of us coming together as a community has been the emergence of the dreamers. Right. I mean, you've seen these young people who have uh, understood what what uh, this environment has meant not just for them, but for their families and their parents in particular. And it has drawn out the most courageous, uh, you know, of, of acts and statements and leadership. And it should be really reaffirming to a lot of us uh, that, you know, we're seeing uh, community leaders, leading organizations, but also young people who are saying, 
we're going to try to uh, make sure that we're we don't we don't care if we're going to put our our lives at, at risk mm -hmm. and be uh, very vulnerable to deportation. We're going to come out and we're going to advocate. And we're going to mobilize. But the national interest requires that this be much more than right. our own <laughs> self determination. Absolutely. This is this is the, the country's interest that this population not be left marginalized. The swing for America between a Latino population that is entrepreneurial and making and, and, and creating wealth and educated versus a community that is marginalized and, and left at the edges is huge. It could be the difference in whether America continues to be a world leader in an era of Chinese and European ascendancy and so forth. I mean, it, it literally could be whether we're, 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 we're held back versus whether we're fully engaged, energized, youthful energy, et cetera. And the Latino community could well be the swing. And the country, I don't think, has realized that. It's Aspen Ideas To Go. I'm Trisha Johnson. Thanks for listening. Today's conversation features Latino USA host Maria Inahosa, Janet Mergua, president of the National Council of La Raza, former HUD secretary Henry Cisneros, and Monica Lozano, chair of the Aspen Institute Latinos and in Society program. Previously, she was at the helm of La Opinion, a leading Spanish language daily newspaper. Here's more of their conversation held on stage at the Aspen Ideas Festival in June. Monica Lozano. Let's open it up now to um, questions, comments from, from the audience. And we'll start here, um, you know, right up here, Hilda, if you don't mind. And then I'll go here and we'll kind of make our way around. Hilda Ochoa, Thank immigrant. You. Clearly the brand has been assaulted and bruised, the Latino brand. And I'm, I'm focusing on the brand because I mm -hmm. do believe that the policies that need to be put in place and the actions are to build the brand. There is a side of the brand that needs to be defended and civil society and organizing is one way of doing it. But not enough is being done in terms of what Latinos have contributed to this country. I am so frustrated that I imagine in Univision and in other TV stations all around the United States, a plethora of faces of all kinds of Latinos just saying, I have employed a thousand Americans. I have built so much. I have contributed to so much income to the American GDP. I am a Latino. The, the, the voices that I'm hearing from you, and it's correct because we're under assault, is one of being victimized. Mm -hmm. And the more you repeat the victimization and what we need to do to get out of it and defend against it, the more we're going to be hated because we're already on the floor and we're asking for help. Yes, you have to do it because you have to appeal to the hearts of some of Americans who do have a heart, a lot of them have a heart, but you have to appeal to the interests of the people who are attacking us as to the contribution we have brought to this country, which is enormous. Mm -hmm. Florida would not be what Florida is without the Cubans. Meg, I mean, L.A. would not be what L.A. is without the, the Mexican-Americans and the other Latinos. And one by one by one by one, all the community. American women, educated women, would not have been able to join the labor force as they did, creating so much wealth in the 70s and 80s, were not for the fact that there were a lot of Latino illegal immigrants, nannies, who came to take care of their kids. Mm -hmm. And the moment that stopped and it stopped during the Clinton administration when three women were not allowed to go to public office because of nanny gate issues. The, the participation of women, American women in the labor force ended. So, so Hilda, let me, um, you know, run. well, so yeah. this is, so on Latino and, USA on a weekly basis, yeah. <clears throat> this is what we do in fact. And so we'll we, we are telling the stories of Latino Latina reality. Um, I, I have some good news right, because we need some good news. Um, so our audience growth for Latino USA on public radio, so on the radio, the terrestrial radio, which is, you know, making a comeback, was 45% in the last year. So audience growth of 45% for a Latino property. And 
a lot of that is um, that we also have growth in our podcast, which is listened to primarily by Latinx, multicultural, young. But on the radio, um, it's predominantly white, right? So we have both audiences. And there is an appetite. And of course, I'm also traveling the country. I'm speaking like my colleagues here as well. Um, so that is, again, one of the silver linings, right? And then uh, very often, you know, one, the people who listen to the work come and they're in tears because there is this need to see themselves reflected and hear the stories. We have a lot of um, people that, and so let's just take comments. We don't have to respond to everything. We want to actually hear mm -hmm. your points of view as much as, as anything. So let's go. So a quick comment and a question. Uh -huh. um, I live in LA. I chair the board of a reentry organization for formerly incarcerated people, most of whom are Latino, uh, Latina. Um, if, if not them, then their families are in jeopardy in this, and it really is heartbreaking. And um, you know, Henry suggested that it takes tension for progress, and I think in closing you were getting to what I'm concerned that it, it doesn't take just tension, it takes kinship. And for all of us to accept that this is not just a Latina, Latina problem, that this is our problem as a nation. These are our brothers and sisters. These are people who are in our homes, in our families, in our lives. Yeah. And if not them, again, they're family members. So what can allied, uh, sympathetic, uh, oh, I don't know what the word is, but, 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 but engaged uh, progressive uh, white and other people do in order to uplift not just the stories, but really the movement and to help to support progress. That's a great question. Why don't we do this? Let's take a couple, and then we'll come back to the panel and, and have you respond, if that's okay. It is a sad situation. It's a heartbreaking situation. I don't have any questions, but I do have one observation. Uh, so... As a country, we're facing North Korea with ballistic missiles that can reach Los Angeles. And he has his immigration problems that the Supreme Court will approve or not approve. He has his health care problems. He has his lowest you know, approval rating of any president. Uh, he has 400 of the 500 positions that he has to fill unfilled. And the list goes on and on and on. And what does he do? He brings to the White House, he brings to the White House the victims, quote unquote, of immigra immigration crime. Uh, crime. It's, you know, so when you talk about the media, I think you were talking about the media a minute ago. Univision needs to focus, and we do that on explaining to the Hispanic community that we reach what their rights are and how they can protect themselves. And we're doing that. Telemundo doesn't do it enough, and I don't mean to bash <laughs> Telemundo. Yes, you do. I was like, yes, yes you do. La Opinion's doing no, it really I would, well. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. It's not my style. But, so, so, but, but they don't do that, and they don't do it enough as we do. We have a program in development that we're going to have airing daily called Deportations, Families Broken. Mm. Just that title. But we can only address our community. That's right. We mm -hmm. speak in Spanish. The effort that I would offer to this group is to go after ABC, CBS, CNN, and yeah. so on, yeah. and get them to counter the platform of the president. The president has a platform because he generates ratings and because he's the president. So when he brings these families, so-called victims of immigrants, he creates an impact yeah. and a point of view on the Latino community and we all get painted with the same brush. Yes. It is beyond comprehension why he would do that when he's got all these issues uh, in front of him that he's unable to solve. But who do you believe came in, in, in a newsroom like, let's say, ABC or CBS? I mean, who, who do you see in your mind basically walking into that newsroom and saying, we have got to challenge and we're going to come in and we're going to tell the stories of those good immigrants who are undocumented and we're going to tell the story of the fact that the fastest growing group of deportees is Asian, not Latino. How do you see advocating in that newsroom to kind of... Because I think, again, there's a sense of like... There's one thing that interests networks. Right. And it's ratings. Exactly. Outside of Univision, where we feel we also have an obligation to the community, 
and we fulfill that obligation to the best of our ability, and we have loud voices like Jorge Ramos, Maria Elena. So the point I'm trying to make is, there isn't, in my view, from the Latino organization, a focused plan, and I'm happy to contribute to That's this uh, line of thought where we go after the general media. Right. It's some of what Sol Trujillo is trying to do with the... Right. Uh, the, the brand, and it comes back the brand, to the, the brand, brand question. question. But, you know, Haim made a point about what the president is doing with this victim situation, and obviously anytime anyone is hurt, families where the crime has been committed, it's a legitimate public issue. But this is where it goes from sad to really making you angry, to really pissing you off, right? <laughs> because... Um, that point that I made earlier about a, a United States senator who ran for president, who understands Trump, he was one of his opponents in the primaries, says, get ready. He's going to keep doing this mm -hmm. because it, it works, works right. for him. It's yeah. his politics. Right. And what does that say? Think about it. It says you're willing to take 55 million people in America, right? Not the 12 who are undocumented but the bleed over to everyone else who has brown skin and, 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 and Latino last names and lives in Latino some communities. Okay, very few. And say to them, and say to them, you're expendable. We, we, we're gonna move forward as a country and we're gonna do this on your back. Okay, let's take one more. And, and, and that, to me, that's, that's, that's where we are. Us. That's the reality of where we are right this minute. And we'll, we have to face we'll up to that. We'll take this last question. Actually, so I've got three hands up. Let's do this. And then I want to take those, um, come back to the how do we build allies, and then we'll wrap it up because we've just got about three more minutes to go. So quickly the questions, and then we'll come back to the panel to wrap it up. Okay, so on a micro level, just why did so many Latinos vote for Trump, and what can we do to get them back so that we have more power as a community? On a macro level, a different question. I think that um, you know, African Americans were singing, we shall overcome, while the dogs and the hoses were put on them. And I think we need a more positive message, like is there a way for us to come up with, have faith, take courage, we can, we can overcome this? Because right now, I mean, we're very angry and we're upset and we're nervous. And I have to teach my children that fear is the worst emotion that we have to conquer. And so it's not going to help that we're just afraid and upset, especially when September comes and I okay. goes to school. So we have a, a, a brand question, a message question, uh, a, a building allies, a kinship. Let's go um, Alejandra back there and then we'll come back to Stephanie and we'll close it out. Good morning, Alejandra de la Vega. Just a quick question. Do any of you know why an important part of the Latino community in the U.S. voted for Trump? Mm -hmm. I have some Thoughts. Okay, so there's two, <laughs> two questions on why did that happen, <laughs> Stephanie, and then um, we'll come back and take some final comments and wrap it up. Okay, yes, sir. Also on that point, yes. I heard that a lot of the southwestern Hispanics were not really enthusiastic about Rubio because the commu uh, Cuban community is sort of elite somehow to the rest of the Hispanics. That's and I don't okay. understand that. We'll talk about um, not all Latino candidates are compatible to Latino voters. Okay. So I think just shifting gears for a second, I think an important point for, for this group here who may not be as familiar with the demographics of the for the demographics of the community is that, you know, I think Henry mentioned this, our community is disproportionately very young. Over half of the population is, you know, and the population growth is actually not being driven by new immigration. It's being driven by the growth of the community that's already here. Sure. And half of our population is under 50. A third of that is under 20. And so I think, you know, if you look at the kind of broader conversation we're having here at Aspen around the future of work, the future of workforce, the impact of technology, mm -hmm. I think my question is more of a forward-looking question, which is how do we make sure our community is prepared to take yes. advantage of the jobs of the future and that we're not left behind in this really important moment mm -hmm. of moving, you know, of kind of technological advancement? Okay, so let's break this up. We've got a Brandon message question. We've got a political question about Trump and the Latino vote. And then this one about allies. Each one of you pick one and, and let's take Go with the Trump question. Go with the Trump Well, it's just because I've been doing a lot of reporting about this. <clears throat> and I, I still, I mean, there isn't one answer. So a couple of things. I think that the abortion issue is actually much more front and center than I, than I had understood, also because the data doesn't necessarily reflect that. Latinos and Latinas seem to say that they're very, quite actually pro-choice, but... Um, the issue of abortion. Um, so I think it wasn't is, Trump; it was policies that it was a political party and policies. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Um, 
I think that there is an element of um, there are Latinos um, who are part of the Republican Party and they didn't like Trump necessarily, but once he became the candidate, you were, they were like, he's our guy. I've interviewed Latinos who are uh, members of the Mi Miami Police Department who is like, he's our guy because he represents the law and order. Um, and I think that there's this other thing that is much more... There were probably men who didn't like Hillary. And men who didn't like Hillary, right? There is definitely that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and Latino. again, Latino evangelical vote, super important. I'm doing a... And you're doing something, um, something this today, afternoon. Something today, this afternoon yeah. with uh, Reverend Samuel Rodriguez. Um, and then I think there's this other thing, which is, again, much harder to kind of put your finger on, but almost a sense of like, I, I believe I'm like 100% American, and I believe that this is what Americans do. We like someone like Donald Trump because he's a good businessman and he says what he thinks, whatever that means. Um, and so it's kind of like this caudillo, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a, like, I don't want to be a Latino, actually. Like, I don't want to identify with that. That's not what I'm going to, I'm going to identify with this. So it's almost like this need to prove your love. Well, no, there's, there's another element of it. I mean, I've heard Latinos say, he's for the rich. And I want to be rich. It's well, interesting. I'm right. going to be rich. Okay, which of the other two questions are you going to take, Henry? And then I'm going to come back around and ask you all when we close, if there was one thing you could do to change this narrative, what would it be? Henry? Well, I, I guess I will take the kinship question and I would just say, we need Janice. to... Oh, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 please. Well, uh, we just, we just, we've worked with many uh, cross-coalitions and, and I guess one of the best ways I can answer that is to say that uh, one on criminal justice reform and prison reform, it's been a, a cross-section of faith-based, Latino, African-American, but business leaders. It's where we've had Democrat and Republicans come together because there has been common ground there in seeing that we want to uh, live our values and give people a chance who, who can uh, uh, come back into society and re-enter. And there's a lot of policies. It's where we've seen it. The faith-based commu faith community has been really central to bringing a, a lot of us together. And we've been working in coalition around that. I would point to uh, the Arizona example. Arizona passed a bill called SB 1070 that was very similar to this very uh, anti-immigrant, anti-Hispanic bill that we're seeing in Texas now emerge. And it really made Arizona a poster child for intolerance. We helped to lead a boycott in Arizona. We had a lot of uh, affiliates there, but we saw this as a real direct uh, attack and we saw Sheriff Joe Arpaio and other key folks, the Senate Russell, leader Russell Pierce, has really contributed to an environment that was uh, assaulting our community, literally. And so we led the boycott. And what emerged there was that Arizona decided they didn't want to be that poster child anymore. And we were able to convene not just activists, but business leaders, Republicans and Democrats who said, you know, we've got too much at stake. Not only is Mexico a partner, uh, a business partner that is helping to further our economy, but we don't, uh, this is not consistent with our values. And since then, we have seen a shift. Now, we gotta keep making sure they don't fall back or backslide, but we have seen a shift where now uh, SB 1070 no longer is in place or the key elements are not in place. Uh, and we've seen uh, Russell Pierce go down in, in terms of uh, election. We've been able to mobilize more Latinos to be not only voters, and registered voters, but to become elected officials themselves. Mm -hmm. And finally, we saw Sheriff Joe Arpaio mm -hmm. uh, you know, be uh, not elected to, uh, re-elected to office. There is a way that we can come together and yeah. use these stark challenges. Mm -hmm. And it was assault uh, on our community in Arizona. And it gives me hope that we can see this on a national scale term. Yeah, we're the gonna, the we're organizing gonna... principle for um, mm -hmm. the immigration coalition uh, Ali Nurani has called Bibles, badges, and business. Uh, the evangelicals, mm -hmm. uh, the law enforcement community that doesn't agree with this strategy, and, and business. I'll take uh, Stephanie's question take, quickly take the in last 30 question, seconds. And then, and then close with, um, if you could do one thing in a single sentence. Well, Henry, I'll, and I'll then do we'll both at the same time, exactly. so I'll take my last point. And, and that is, if the country won't do it, and the states won't do it, meaning improvements in education, preschool, K through 12, accession to college, then we have to do it. The Latino community has to do it in, in, in whatever ways we can at the local level, school boards and everything else. Because this whole question of whether or not the Latino community is a contributing factor or not, 
whether it helps save the country, literally, it turns on what we do in education. We cannot continue with the dropout rate that we have. We cannot not have our children ready for, to learn when they arrive at school. Uh, and, and it is a way that Americans will understand our potential because the rules of the game are not going to change. It is still going to be human talent and human capital that influences the future of the country. And, and, and we've got to get the Latino community up to, to, to that level. We are also, we, it is a community that is fertile for this because our people are ambitious. Our people are forward-looking. They're willing to sacrifice today for their children to do right. better. This is the best immigration you know, group that America has before it and, it's actually the and maybe has group. ever had. It's, only, it's the only group that still believes that the next generation will do better than the, than the current there's generation. Some polling, there's some polling on that, by the way. Mm -hmm. When you ask Americans, do you believe in the concept of work hard today and you will be rewarded with a better future, about 50-50 of Americans say that that's, that's a viable principle, but 85% of Latinos right. say they believe right. that. So these are all these are all social skills. So um, so we're we're at the end of this. So really, just a okay. single sentence. If there was one thing you could do, Maria, I know she's a journalist. So. Look, just to say that these are social skills that, again, in terms of impacting the narrative, we need to lift up. We are not takers; we are contributors, and we are actually impacting American society and politics massively. And again. This is what I live my life. I do Latino USA with an amazing team of journalists. We do In the Thick. I'm the newest contributor to CBS Sunday Morning, the first Latina. Um, my first piece was about bodegas in New York. So I'm living that, um, but I do it truly in service uh, for everybody. Janet? Yeah, I would just say, look, we at, at the National Council of La Raza, we have a number of areas of work that we uh, are involved in, in education, health, uh, home ownership, community development, civil rights, and immigration reform. There are ways that we are, can move forward to policy programs that we're doing that. But I, I think the biggest challenge we're going to have to try to break this cycle, if, you know, I mean, I think we are, have a responsibility to try to break this cycle, is that, you know, how do we get through this um, period? while someone is stoking animosity, to reach out to folks on the other side who feel vulnerable, who feel threatened by this demographic shift. And, and they, it's not because they're racist. It's because they just, they just feel threatened and it's too much change coming at them. Mm -hmm. How do we find a way to communicate across them and understand that Trump called uh, a lot of his base forgotten Americans? Well, our founder of NCLR 50 years ago had an establishment paper that said Latinos are the forgotten Americans. Hmm. I actually think we have more in common with hmm. the Trump base. Obviously, maybe not the core, core base. Maybe there's, there's some people who are unreachable in terms of that. But I think that we have to challenge ourselves to find ways to show where we have more in common than divides us and, and really tap into what it is that we can achieve in those in that sort of shared value space because we actually can i think have a common objective and, and a common vision for this country but we've got to find a way to break through on that messaging so that we're we have a, an initiative called rise above that is giving us those polling numbers of a of, of thought of why people voted for Trump, but why they, uh, what, but th what they really believe. And on some of the broader pieces, they are aligned with the things that we believe. We've got to keep working at cutting through and connecting. So, so I just want to close by saying that this is uh, another just, you know, so real demonstration of why a program like Latinos in Society at the Aspen Institute is so valuable and so necessary today. Because this does give us that platform to actually reach into other communities that have you know, similar values and a similar sense of the potential of America and really are committed to being much more inclusive. So I just want to thank all of you for being here and for allowing our program. Thank you, Monica. Henry Cisneros is the chairman of CityView. He served as Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under President Clinton and was a four-term mayor of San Antonio. Maria Enajosa is a news anchor, reporter, and founder of the nonprofit Virtuo Media Group. She hosts Latino USA on NPR. 
Janet Morgua is president and CEO of the National Council of La Raza, the largest national Hispanic civil rights and advocacy organization in the United States. Monica Lozano chairs the Aspen Institute Latinos and Society program. It's dedicated to increasing awareness of the role Hispanics will play in our country's long-term prosperity. Make sure to subscribe to Aspen Ideas To Go on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow the Aspen Ideas Festival year-round on Twitter and Facebook at Aspen Ideas. Explore thousands of videos from the festival on our website, aspenideas.org. Today's show was produced by Marcy Krivenin and me and recorded by our team at the Aspen Institute. I'm Trisha Johnson. Thanks for joining me.